Revelation chapter 1, I'm going to be reading from in just a moment. And uh, for the next, well, not counting this week, but seven weeks after this Sunday, I'm going to be teaching with the seven churches here in the book of the Revelation. And that means every week we'll take a new church and look at it. And uh, I want to just instruct a little bit. I've been reading it kind of over and over again. Uh, these passages the last couple of weeks and I feel like the Lord is uh, speaking in these passages and I just want to share some aspects of these seven churches and you know I've had the opportunity in my life to live on both sides of this nation lived on the east coast lived on the west coast and they are two totally different environments Um, I was in northern California for a couple of years, it's what they call the Bay Area, lived on the Oakland side of the Bay, and uh, although it's beautiful, it's, it's sort of hilly, the cities are beautiful at night, you see the bridges, many of the same type sites as we would have here in Charleston, they would have there as well in that particular area. Uh, the prevailing spirit, unfortunately, over uh, the Oakland, San Francisco Bay Area is, is really nothing like the spirit that is here, it is different. Um, If you get into San Francisco proper, there are just few uh, gospel preaching churches. I'm not saying there aren't churches, but if you want to hear the gospel, you might have to leave the city in order to find that. Um, As I understood, the the largest church in the San Francisco city limit area uh, was barely 200 people, which gives you an idea in a major metropolitan area to only have a church that probably attends in that area is probably... Uh, an enigma in and of itself. So I had opportunity to at least see and and participate to an extent on the West Coast. And then, of course, being here on the East Coast in Charleston, South Carolina. Obviously, if you're in the Carolinas and the South in general, you are in what they call the Bible Belt. You'll find churches on every corner. Um, You can hear the gospel preached in numerous churches Um, We have our unique prevailing spirits here in Charleston as well. Uh, While we have many churches, we're called the Holy City, we usually have to battle with religious spirits is what we deal with here in our particular area. They may have to deal with a godlessness and secularism in the Oakland-San Francisco Bay Area as well as other things, but we have our issues we have to deal with as well. And uh, just putting that out there, you know, it's interesting to me how the Holy Spirit has something he wants to say ...to his church at large. He wants us to see what he sees. And, you know, anytime you begin to read the word of God... ...it always has to be applied to the particular culture... ...or environment that you're in. But I do believe that there are certain standard... uh, ...rock foundational precepts... ...that we can embrace and adhere to... ...that he wants his whole church to know... ...and uh, implement in their lives... And as I was reading these verses on the seven churches of Asia, I just began to see out of them that we can begin to see what God wants with regards to his church, what he desires, and what his true purpose is in the earth. And maybe you're going to do that as well these next few weeks. You can just begin to perhaps read these passages over and over and over again. And I'm going to believe that just as John as he was writing the very words of Jesus himself, that you're going to begin to have ears to hear what the Lord himself is saying to the church. You know, a lot of times we think church is surveying what people think. 
Well, let's figure out what people think, and then we'll figure out what church ought to be doing. How many of you know that the church isn't people's idea, the church is God's idea? And it's not just a matter of surveying what we want. The, the aspect of the church is that's the bride of Christ. That's his bride. And, and, and so God has a very definite opinion as to what uh, church, church life, church philosophy, uh, church focus ought to be about. Several years ago, there was a bracelet that many of you perhaps had that had the famous acrostic on it, WWJD. You remember that? And everybody knows what WWJD is. What would Jesus do? And uh, people were wearing the bracelet, that acrostic was on it, and the whole reason for it was to remind those that were wearing it that we ought to demonstrate a character that is similar to Jesus himself. We ought to consider in every situation what Jesus would do and how he might respond, and that was a reminder. As I began to read these passages about the seven churches, I kind of thought of a new acrostic. WWJS. What would Jesus say? It's important to do what he would do, but it's also important to know what he would say. And as I listened... And we're going to talk about all the imagery and symbolism. We'll do that here a little bit this morning and on through the next weeks. But I started thinking to myself, what would Jesus say if he could really walk amongst the church today? What would Jesus say? Now, I know we think we know what he'd say. I'm I'm confident. Most of us, I mean, I'm amazed at how many things Jesus tells us as individuals and what the Lord says to do. Well, the Lord told me to do this. The Lord said, I believe this is the Lord. I mean, the Lord has said a lot of interesting things through the years. It's amazing when we want to do something, how we'll blame the Lord for it. Well, God told me. This is what God told me to do. And I believe the Lord does lead, and I I believe he does speak to us. But inasmuch as we can get an objective understanding of what the Lord might really come and speak to us about... I can really find no better passages of Scripture than those two chapters, chapter 2 and 3 in the book of the Revelation, as he begins to speak to the church. You know what, I understand that as as a pastor, I probably have numerous imperfections and numerous ways that I could probably do something better or, or, or gaps in knowledge or gaps in understanding or gaps in certain thoughts or doctrine. I'll be the first to admit, I'm a human being and I'm as subject to gaps in my brain as much as anyone else is and I understand that all of us would probably at some time say to ourselves well I wonder what it must have been like to hung around Jesus what must it have been like to have heard what he had to say for him to have been uh, my personal mentor for him to have been the one that discipled me I mean I would think would, would you not, that the best mentor you could get had, would have had to have been Jesus himself, amen? I mean, you would have thought that. And any time, perhaps, we get someone that's not Jesus in our life, we can say to ourselves, well, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have done it that way. Jesus would have done something different. Oh, if, oh, if we could have only heard the words of the master ourselves. Oh, it would, it would be so much better. It would be so much impactful. It would be so much more loving. It would be so much more direct. It would be so much of this and so much of that. And I just sort of asked myself the question, well, let's just assume for a moment that Jesus could come and talk to us. Let's just say he could come to his church. Maybe this local church. Maybe he could just gather up his church universal 
just gather us all up at once and we could just all have a meeting and he could speak to us. I wonder what Jesus would say. Well, you know what? We really have an answer to that. And we're going to hear some of the words that he had to say to his church when we read these two particular chapters. And as we've been talking since the beginning of the year about becoming whole as individuals, it suddenly dawned on me that when we become whole as individuals, we start to become whole as the people of God together. We become whole as the church. And so we need to not only hear what God says to us individually, we need to hear what God says to us corporately in order that we might be whole as a people. And so today we're going to do just a little introductory work. And next week we're going to start on that first church. But I need to lay a little groundwork for you that will help you perhaps understand a little bit better what was being said, why it was being said, and why Jesus would start where he starts with some of the churches that he's going to deal with here in the book of the Revelation. So the lesson I've called it this morning, Becoming the Lampstand. Becoming the Lampstand. And we're going to read out of the first chapter just one verse, verse 20. And in my Bible, it's in the red. How many of your Bibles is it in red right now? I mean, do you have a red letter edition? Well, you know, the red letter edition means that these are the words out of the mouth of the Lord. I know John penned them, but these are the words of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 20, he says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And we're going to be talking this morning about becoming the lampstand. Now, I'm going to be honest. The book of the Revelation has never been my strongest suit when it comes to Bible study, preaching, or instruction. Um, The reason being is because, as most of you know, the book of the Revelation has a lot of symbolism. It has a lot of interesting imagery. And so I pretty much through the years have accepted what perhaps some of you have studied through the years from notable teachers such as Hal Lindsey, maybe Jack Van Empey, who have spent a lot of time studying prophecy and this particular prophetic book, and they have taught a particular understanding or a particular perspective by which we were to understand what the Lord was trying to communicate to us in the book of the Revelation I'm not going to get hung up in this. Just bear with me for just a moment. The most predominant teaching understanding out there concerning end times in the Revelation is what we call dispensationalism. And uh, it is instructed in such a way that the book of the Revelation is set up sort of chronologically. And that as you go through the book, you're seeing sort of a chronological overview of how the last days or the end times will begin to unfold or will begin to blossom uh, through the seven-year tribulation period, through the 1,000-year millennial reign until ultimately uh, Christ the King comes and sets up a new heaven and a new earth. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it, it, I believe, could very well be the, the way things shake out eventually when those particular days come. But what happens is, I'm afraid, with people is is that we get tied up in all the imagery. We get tied up so much with the future that we neglect the moment. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in what 
could be, probably be, should be, or should be, um, that, we, that we miss what God may be saying right now. And, and I know for me, there have been times I've read the book and I get all tied up in the symbolism, you know. I, you know, the colors of the horses, of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That was not just, you know, that's not a wrestling tag team. That's, that, that's an actual imagery in the book of the Revelation. And, and we get wrapped up in the colors of the horses and who was the woman that was sitting on the beast and what does 666 mean and and, you know, my credit card has 666 on it. Is that, you know, something significant with that? And, and people, you know, get really wound up in all the symbolisms and the imagery. But lately, as I've begun to read this over and over and over again, I began to see what the book says about itself. And that is that we must hear what the Spirit is saying to the church now. He that hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the church. And the Holy Spirit all through the book of the Revelation. I believe wants to disclose some things to us. And it's more than just potential dates. Or end time scenarios. He doesn't want you just to get wrapped up in the ashes of red heifers. And then you find out that they're raising red heifers in Israel somewhere. I mean that's great and that's good. But whether or not you find out there are red heifers in the earth is not nearly as important as you find out what the will of God is in the earth. And as I began to see all of these things, I began to see that there were certain ideas and concepts and even precepts from the heart of God himself. That he was speaking to his people, the church. And I don't want to miss that. I, I, I mean, I want to be a part of the church. I understand that, that church is bigger than just what goes on in this location this morning. I understand that. But I want to be a part of something that's in the heart, the mind, and the will of God. And so let's talk about that for just a few minutes as we explore what he said to these churches. Number one, I want to start talking about the need for revelation. The need for revelation. Now, revelation isn't just the book I'm uh, going to be talking to you about in these coming weeks. But revelation is, is more important and the concept is much deeper. For most Christians, the book of the revelation has been a mystery. I, I, I mean, I know, I know for some of us we want to start here and begin to read all this because it's kind of cool and it has to do with end time scenarios and could we be the last day's generation. And, and I understand there's sort of an attraction to it. But for most of us, the book as we begin to read it is a mystery. And I'm beginning to understand that it really ought not be that way. In fact, John himself says, blessed are those that read from this book. It really ought not be the mystery it has become. In fact, the term mystery has come to be understood in our current day and age as something unknowable. It's hidden. It is left with a sense of unresolved. You know, if you watch a mystery on TV, uh, you know, we used to watch Columbo. Anybody watch the old Columbos or Matlocks or... Something like that. There are newer mysteries I know on TV as well. But a mystery is something that when it takes place, we don't understand what happened. We don't get all the pieces. We don't understand how it fits together. And so for something to be mysterious in our current culture, we look at it as something unknowable or something that's hidden. But you need to understand that the biblical meaning is almost the opposite of that. Biblically, mysterion doesn't mean something that's unknowable, and I believe I put it on the screen overhead. It means something which is meaningless unless 
Everyone say unless. The book of the Revelation will be meaningless to you. It will be meaningless to the world, meaningless to your neighbors. It's, it's absolutely meaningless unless you hold the key to understanding. And that key, I'm going to be up front and tell you right away. I won't make this a mystery until the seventh week. I tell you what the key is. I won't do that to you. The key is you must have the Holy Spirit as the interpreter. You must have the Holy Spirit as the unveiler. You must have the Holy Spirit as the one who really in this book of all the books of the Bible must be the one that gives you eyes to see and ears to hear. You cannot understand the significance of what we're going to be instructing by natural reason. If you come in here and week after week and you say, well, I'll listen and see what pastor has to teach and say, and all you use is your natural reasoning, then you'll walk away and everything will still be a mystery to you. We're not going to teach by natural reasoning. I'm going to ask right now. In fact, why don't we do this right now? Why don't you just kind of don't feel funny. Just touch your ears and everyone say, in the name of Jesus... Give me ears to hear. Give me a heart to understand. Holy Spirit, unveil to me mysteries. I didn't even have this in my notes, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I just, just as I'm being quickened right now, as I'm standing before you, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is what Paul said about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says this, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. He says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. You know, there are some things that I suppose I would teach and instruct and preach that people walk out of here and they say, I don't, I don't understand what he just said. I don't get it. That's, that's just a mystery. Now, it's not solely because I just shot over people's heads. But it's because if you don't have the help, the current right now help of the Holy Spirit, you'll walk away and the things of God will forever be a mystery to you. We should be an enigma and a mystery to people. And that's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, I'm going to speak wisdom to you in a mystery. Now, not, it's just not going to be something hidden, but unless you have the key, it will forever elude you. He says, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew. I want you to know right now, I'm getting revelation right now. Do you understand right now that the greatest captains of industry do not have the wisdom of the ages? The greatest captains and chief executive officers and, and the millionaires and billionaires and tycoons of business, they do not have God's wisdom. Now, why are you hollering that? Because I want you to get it. If, I can't, if the Holy Ghost can't get it to you, maybe I can holler it into you. I don't know. But yet we run, don't we, and think. Shelves are filled at Barnes & Noble with the wisdom of the world, making gajillions of dollars, listening to media gurus and talk show hosts and all the other celebrities that have aspired in culture to a place of great visibility and influence. And we all wait with bated breath to hear what they have to say. And their lives, by and large, are a wreck. 
And then they look at the church, and they just kind of go, I don't get it. That's true, you don't. You don't get it. Because it says here there's a mystery that's been hidden, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they'd known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, now listen to this. I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So if you stopped at that verse, it would almost sound as if Paul was saying, well, you know, God has stuff that he wants for us, but you're going to be clueless all the days of your life. You won't hear it. You won't see it. You won't get it. Just humanity is going to be clueless. But listen to what he says in verse 10. He says, but God has revealed or he has unveiled them to us through his spirit. That's the key. You, you won't get the things of God unless you have the spirit of God. It will always be a mystery or elusive. It will always not make a lot of sense to you. It says, for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. And then it says in verse 12, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So you know what? I'm here to say to you that these next seven weeks after this one, we're going to talk out of the book of the Revelation. We're going to believe that the Holy Spirit's going to be here. And you know what? For those that have ears to hear, for those that have eyes to see, for those that have hearts that really are hungry and desirous, you're going to get it. Isn't that good news? You're going to get it. You're going to understand it. The Bible says that God will freely reveal or freely unveil what it is he's wanting to communicate to us in fact on the screen overhead if you could flash that word revelation revelation means an unveiling of that which has been hidden that's what the book the title of the book means it means an unveiling of that which has been hidden the primary purpose of this book is to see the heart of god in relation to what he wants to do in the earth and not just in the earth, but he begins the whole book by saying certain things to his church. And this is what he wants to do in the life of his people or in the life of the church. John didn't get this revelation. You'll recall John was the one. He was boiled in water. They believe they couldn't kill him, which was a minor miracle in and of itself. Well, I won't call that minor. That was a major miracle in and of itself. And he, they couldn't kill him through boiling, so they banished him to the island of Patmos. And it was there after great persecution. They aren't sure whether it was Nero in AD 65 or Domitian some 30 years later, but they were all demon-possessed Caesars. And it was under incredible times of persecution that the early church was going through. John's banished to the Isle of Patmos, and God begins to scroll back the heavens, scroll back his spiritual eyes, scroll back the veil that's over his heart, and the Lord just backs up the truck and dumps it on John. And says, I'm going to tell you exactly what my heart is, not only with regards to Babylon, and the, and, and the concept of Babylon here in the scripture means the world. In fact, you'll see once you get to chapter 4 through 19, Babylon comes up a lot. Babylon is the world system. And let me tell you, Babylon's in for a hard time. Babylon's going to fall. The kingdoms of this world will fall. But long before he gets to Babylon and declares that, he says, I want to talk a little bit to my church. 
I'm going to unveil some things and speak some things into the life of my people. And we need to begin to pray that we begin to see as God sees. After every church that the Lord addresses here in these next seven weeks, the Lord will say over and over and over again, he who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And and this is the important part. We're going to have to ask ourselves personally the question, do we have an ear? Well, we're going to find out. Now, let's talk a little bit about the symbolism. The symbolism. Now, there's all sorts of symbols here in the book of the Revelation. And God, by his Spirit, through John, uses symbols to begin to communicate things to his church, and to the people of God as to what is about ready to take place. Now, why would he do that? Why would he use symbols? Why doesn't he just say it like it is? Why, you know, the Lord, Lord it's hard enough sometimes to know what you're saying. Why don't, you, why don't you at least just say it straight? Why would he do that? Well, I think the answer is, is that the Lord knew that, that if he sent a word out like he was going to send, he was going to have to fly it under the radar of the natural reasoning of Babylon. He was going to release these symbols and images because he wanted to fly under the radar of the world rulers and leaders. He wanted to make sure whether it was Rome as a culture or Domitian or Nero as the leadership. He was going to to speak some things that only the people of God would ultimately understand. In fact, I believe that he also sent it in this type of imagery in order to put it under the radar of the religious system. He was saying, I want people that are really in tune with me to know what's going on. If they're clueless in Babylon or if they're clueless in the religious system, then we're going to let them remain clueless for a little while. But I want my people to know what's going to happen in the life of the church and in their gathering and in the world at large. And I also believe that he gave imagery and symbolism in order to force us to become truly spiritual in our discernment. I mean, the Lord doesn't throw his pearls before swine. I mean, he's going to speak some very important things. He's going to do some very powerful things. And he's going to find out one way or another the spiritual discernment level of all those that have ears to hear. Now, I'm going to give you just some quick interpretation of some symbols. And we're going to come back to these symbols in the weeks ahead. But let me just share with you a couple quick things that you need to know right off the bat. He says that there are seven stars. Seven stars. And these seven stars, he said, are the seven angels. And we'll begin reading here in the next few weeks about how when he begins to declare things to each church, he declares it to an angel, it says. To the angel at the church of Ephesus. To the angel at the church of Sardis. To the angel at the church of Thyatira. And so Jesus addresses these angels. And some have thought, as they've struggled to understand what all of this means, they've they thought, well, maybe the angel, because it comes angelos in the Greek, and you can also translate that messenger, that maybe he was talking to the pastor or he was talking to the point person at that particular church, the point messenger. And they were using just the imagery or the symbolism, and they called it an angel. Some people believe that, that he was actually talking to the, the prevailing principality, so to speak. Uh, other people believe that perhaps he was talking to the bishop of the area. I mean, there's all sorts of interesting interpretations but as i began to really seek god and say lord help me understand this i believe now i'm not saying that my answer is the right answer the only answer or they couldn't be all the answers i i understand that i'm 
I'm a human being, you know, struggling to have spiritual discernment in such a way that I can communicate to you what the heart of God is in the earth. But I have come to the conclusion that as he speaks to the angel, what he's speaking to is, is that he is addressing the prevailing or the ruling spirit of that particular church. I'll say that again. I believe that when the Lord begins to speak to each church, he begins to declare to the ruling spirit or the prevailing spirit that exists within the context of that church, maybe that city at large. Now this is going to become more and more apparent as we work through this in the days ahead. The seven stars. Secondly, there's lampstands. He says that the lampstands are actually churches. Churches. Now it's interesting as you think about that, that the churches are not the light, but they are the holders of the light. They are the lampstands. Not the light, but they are the lampstands. So Jesus, if you remember the the lampstand of old, Jesus is that central branch of the lampstand. He is the light, but the church is the lampstand. The church is the carrier or the holder of the light who is Jesus Christ. Are you with me? That's the lampstand. And then number three, the symbolism I want to leave you with today is the number seven. Most of you would know the number seven is God's number. It means completeness. It means wholeness. Now, no single local church is the church. In fact, the reason there are seven churches and they're represented in seven different cities is because I believe the Lord is attempting to communicate that his church is certainly much broader than just one particular local church. But together, the church becomes the functioning whole. And according to his design, we are one. We are on the same lampstand, giving off the light of Jesus Christ. We are, as branches, we are independent one of another. But at the same time, we are one in him declaring or demonstrating the light that is found in Jesus Christ, who is the light giver, who is the central feature of the lampstand. So, so there's going to be more symbolism, but that's enough to get you through the next couple weeks. Now, let's talk about the church. What is the church? Church is not just organization. Church just isn't about a business, kind of spiritualized business that you organize together, but to be Candid and probably the easiest way to begin to tell you what the church is, it's, it's, it's about people and it's about a people who choose to fellowship together. That's probably the most simple, basic definition of church. It's not, you know, church can meet under a tent. Church can meet at a person's house. Church can buy property and build its own building. Church can come and renovate Burlington Coat Factory. I mean, you can do all kinds of things by way of organization and location and geography, but church as a whole are those that choose to fellowship with one another. Now, the first time the word church is found in the Bible is when Jesus tells Peter in Matthew 16, 18, that once he received the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said this to Peter. He said, blessed are you Simon and Bar- Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he said, and upon this rock, or upon this revelation that you just received, I will build my church, the first time it's ever mentioned. I will build my church, and the gates of hell 
will not prevail against it. That's the first time you hear the word church in the scripture. Now, whenever I've read that verse in the book of Matthew, I've always said to myself, you know, that's kind of an unusual way to describe the church or describe a little bit of what the church does because it sort of gives you this idea, you know, that, that, uh, that there are these gates and these gates are up and it says that uh, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against you. And, and I kind of got this picture in my mind that there were sort of like these moving gates. And I don't know whether they were bumping people or what they were doing, but as these gates were moving, it wouldn't prevail. He says it won't prevail over the church. But it kind of leaves you with the opinion that somehow we're in the defensive posture. We're sort of the ones that are here, but the gates are doing something, but they won't prevail over us. And I guess we can all say praise God to that because nobody wants to be run over. But as you begin to study the original language, that's not really what's being communicated here. What's being communicated here is that, yes, hell, the enemy, Satan, his cohorts would establish strongholds. They would establish fortresses. They would establish places that look to be impenetrable. They would put up a gate, lock it, keep people from ever going through it. And what Jesus was saying was this, that as the church arises and does what the church was designed to do, it will go forward, it will press through, and it doesn't matter how many locks hell's put on the gate, it doesn't matter how many stones they put in place, it doesn't matter whether they use reinforced steel or whatever material, those gates will not stop the people of God. It will not stop the people of God. It doesn't matter what hell throws at you, it will not stop you. That's what Jesus was trying to say. You can't stop this thing called the church. Hell will put up its best. It'll look big and it'll look tough. It'll look rugged and it will look impenetrable, but it will not prevail when we move forward. Now, I suspect most of you, like myself, have watched, whether it be network news or cable news, but we've watched the events of this week that took place in Blacksburg, Virginia, at Virginia Tech, where 33 people died in what is rightly called a massacre. It was the single greatest shooting massacre that had ever taken place in the history of the United States of America wasn't just a massacre, it was an historic massacre. Now, can there be any doubt in anyone's mind that we are facing the power of hell and evil? Can there be really any question that some of the things we face as a culture are historic in this civilization? And maybe no one would, should ask the question, and maybe we don't want to ask the question, but the questions that I wrote down here are these. Why can't we stop massacres? Why can't we stop terrorists? Why can't we stop drugs? Why can't we stop perversions? Why can't we stop divorces? Why can't we stop family breakdown? Why can't we stop all of society's ills? Well, the answer is, I believe that the church does not understand who it is 
or what it is supposed to be doing in God's eyes. We're too busy trying to be like IBM. We're too busy trying to figure out how we can sort of make ourselves look like you know, something else that's out there that the world does. We were never meant to look like the world. We were meant to be the church because the church is the only thing that hell can't stop. Hell will stop everything else, but it won't stop the church. But if we aren't being the church, it'll stop us. Are you with me? That's why things get shut down. That's why there's no power because, because the church is being stopped and we all say to ourselves, well, that's not what Jesus promises. Well, it could be that we're calling ourselves the church when we may not be the church. Because you know what? You can call a duck a cow or a cow a duck. But it don't matter how many times you call the duck a cow. If it don't moo, it ain't no cow. And if the cow don't quack, it ain't no duck. And if the church doesn't break through the gates of hell, it ain't no church. Are you with me? Now, I kind of got a little forceful there, didn't I? I'm not irritated. Don't, don't misunderstand my passion for irritation. It's not that. I'm not irritated with you. I'm irritated with, I'm irritated with me a little bit. But we got to get our passion back. We got to understand that if we're going to break through some things, we got to be the church. We can't be, we just can't be an organization. We got to be the church. We can't just look like something out there in the world with just a few spiritual overtones and a little moral message when we gather together. We got to be the church. Hell kicks the tar out of us. Because maybe we're not the church. And again, the church ain't an organization. It's us. Our culture, folks, listen to me. Our culture is unraveling before our very eyes. You see, before it was just unraveling at a house here and there on your block. It was just unraveling across town or in this place or that place, somebody you knew, some family member somewhere. It was unraveling and you knew there were struggles and things going on. But I'm here to tell you right now on cable news and network news, our culture is unraveling and we're watching it and listening to everyone comment on it. And we're naive to think that somehow more legislation is going to fix this. If you think that passing another law is going to fix it, then you don't have the Holy Spirit opening your eyes yet. You can't legislate the heart of man. And can I just tell you right now that Satan is not bound by what Washington, D.C. legislates. He doesn't give a rip what comes through our Congress. He doesn't care what the president vetoes or doesn't veto. Satan is not moved by our natural laws. But Satan can be moved when the church applies spiritual laws. And we better get to the root of our issues lest we find ourselves destroyed as a culture. You know, it's interesting, when you say the word church, what people think about. What, 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 what's our ideas that begin to come into our mind when we say the word church? Church. Think about that for just a minute. What do you think of when you think of the word church? Someone says church. Well, I'll just suggest to you that in a lot of people's heads, man's idea is that the church is an organization that might help the needy 
It certainly would give some form of moral instruction, maybe religious instruction on your particular viewpoint, spiritual viewpoint. They'd probably offer programs with regards to, you know, keeping maybe kids busy and keeping them focused on their future and other things. And, and, and certainly the church would be something that would give comfort to those that were grieving or they would be there to help pick up the pieces of, of a tragic situation. And, and again, I'm not suggesting that any of, the, any of these things are wrong in and of themselves. And indeed, I would tell you right now that probably it has a place in the life of the church. But the point I want to make is before we get to all of these interesting ideas that we generate with regards to our perspective, it seems to me, let's not, let's not reel God into our idea. Let's first get to God's idea. And once we got God's idea down, then maybe he'll open up the doors to do all the other ideas we can generate. Let's make sure we've got the heart of God with regards to his church first. So let me give you what I just called Jesus' idea of the church. Now, we're going to deal with this on and on and on through these next weeks. And you can read the Bible yourself and you can see with your own eyes and you'll be able to hear with your own ears and hopefully get the heart of God. What's Jesus' idea of the church? Well, the first thing is, I put number one down here, is that a church is a group of people, a fellowship of people who have decided they're going to, to walk together with, with common vision and goal, but they are called, number one, to the uncommon. In fact, the very word church in the Greek comes from us. The word is ekklesia. Most of you probably, if you've hung around church and heard any preaching, have probably heard the word ekklesia. Ekklesia is the Greek word for church. It's actually two words that were put together. It was the word ek, which means out of. Ek is out of. Klesia is a derivative of kaleo, which means to call. So ekklesia, when it's put together in its most basic form, means the called out ones. The called out ones. So when Jesus uses the term church, he calls the church the called out ones. And so you and I, if, if we're a part of the church, we have been called out. Now what does it mean to be called out? I believe this, that to be called out means that we are called out of something that is ordinary into something that is uncommon. You know, the picture of the church in the book of the Revelation, as you begin to study it, is really quite unique. It starts out, obviously, with some problems. Those of you that know enough about those two chapters know those churches had some issues. But as you begin to see the people of God, and as you begin to see the church of God, as it is unveiled through the book of the Revelation, you begin to see that those folk that are called the church are doing uncommon things. I mean, they have spiritual power. They have clout. They have tenaciousness. They aren't easily stepped on. Uh, these are people that can stand up to intense, stressful, difficult, uh, trial-type situations. I mean, they are uncommon people. And you need to get this in your spirit. You may not feel extraordinary this morning. In fact, maybe most of us this morning, and I'll throw myself in the bucket, feel quite ordinary. Just feel like an everyday, ordinary kind of person. And you know what? You are in a lot of ways, and I am in a lot of ways. But when you begin to walk as the church, when you begin to understand what God has done through Christ Jesus in order to call out a people unto himself to become this entity which will press through gates and press into hell's territory, you are no longer ordinary, you are extraordinary. 
Because the world might look at you right now and the world might not give you the best job. They might not give you the best salary. They might not give you the best position. As a matter of fact, the world may look at you and think you're just a tad off. Your screw's loose. Your elevator doesn't go to the top. You aren't carrying a full load of bricks. You dropped a couple of them on the way to your job that morning. But let me tell you something. You may not be the best candidate in order to somehow uh, reconcile the P&L sheets of a Fortune 500 company, but you're the only one that can press through the gates of hell and stop what the enemy is trying to do in the earth today. I'll take, I'll take you over Donald Trump any day. It may be fun to fly on his jet, but he can't pull down a territorial principality. Are you with me? We're trying to figure out how to get up close to that when God's saying you don't need to rub shoulders with it. You need to go ahead and go to the root of the issue. Called to do the uncommon. We're not an organization of just people being spiritual. We're called to do extraordinary things. Do you hear me? Even, even as good as social service organizations are. And again, there's no, there's, there's no criticism of what all sorts of wonderful social service organizations do. They, they need to do it. Somebody's got to be the caretakers and, and, and the helpers and the put-her-back-together ones. But I'm just here to tell you, unless we get the spiritual dimension of our extraordinary nature as, as Christians, We can do all the social care in the world, but it will not keep this society from unraveling. Some of you right now, I know, where's Kelly? Where's where's, where's Kelly? Is she in nursery? Good, then I can say something about her because she's not here. You you can tell her what I said. I know she she helps poor folk build homes. It's a wonderful thing. I think that's just a wonderful thing to be able to do. I know some of you here, I know Michael and others of you went and helped those Hurricane Katrina victims put things back together. That's a wonderful, needful thing to do. Please don't misunderstand my heart. And we need to be compassionate. But do you understand? You can build the house back and put the same old folk back in and it will unravel without a hurricane. New Orleans can be rebuilt, but it will unravel again. Unless we understand. The nature of the church. Number two, Jesus' idea of the church was to be a city shaker. You know, it's interesting that the the word ecclesia, where where did the Lord pick this word up at? I mean, did did God just drop it in him? And, And I believe probably that's what happened. But the word ecclesia, if you'll follow it, was actually used, interestingly enough, in the governmental arena. The word ecclesia meant in the governmental arena... In fact, it was used by the Greeks and some by the Romans to denote people who were called out of their vocations or they were called out of their everyday ordinary jobs. They were called out, and this is the important phrase, to change the affairs of the state. That's ecclesia. Ecclesia meant in that realm to call people out and change the affairs of the state. All seven churches in the book of the Revelation were associated with the city that they were planted in. It's the church at Ephesus, the church at Sardis, the church at Pergamum, the church at Thyatira, 
The church at Laodicea, the church at Philadelphia, all of these churches that were there. The church was associated with the city that they were in. Why would that be? It's because I believe that the church was meant to be a city shaker. The church at Charleston, the church at Charleston was meant to shake our city. See, we're meant to be city shakers. It says of Paul and Silas that they would go into a city and they would literally turn it upside down with the message they preach. It would highly affect the cities they were in. We are called to do that. We are called to touch cities. Open up your Bibles real quick. Psalm 2, verse 8. I'm going to read something to you that's actually in the Bible that will blow your mind. Psalm 2, verse 8, it says, Ask of me, this is the Lord speaking, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. He says, Ask of me. And I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The church was meant to capture the attention and the rule of the spiritual atmosphere of the city that it's in. I'm going to read this verse again. It may be next week or in the coming weeks. But then turn to Ephesians 3.10. I mean, you just look at what Paul said. Some of these verses, if you really stop and think about it for a while, it'll really cause you to go tilt. Ephesians 3.10, listen to this. In fact, it starts off in in chapter 3. He talks about the mystery, the mystery of God that he gave to him by revelation concerning Christ and concerning what Christ could do. He goes down in beginning in verse 8 and begins to tell about the purpose of the mystery until you get to verse 10. It says this, to the intent that now, everyone say now, not, not tomorrow, now, today, this moment, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. To who? Principalities and powers in the heavenly places. What does that mean? It means that we have been uniquely designed by God as the people of God to make certain applications, certain declarations. We've been uniquely designed by God in order to declare His wisdom in such fashion that we begin to speak to the ruling authorities the territorial spirits over cities and regions we are the ones that are are declared called and designed to do that so do you understand america won't be changed south carolina won't be changed charleston won't be changed this world won't be changed until we do that i'm yelling again because i'm passionate on this I'm, i'm breaking through our dullness I know, I know, I know for many people, they look and say, well, that's not very practical. Well, go pass another gun law and let's see how practical that is. I mean, are you, are, are you not a second amendment? I could care less about any of the amendments right now. We're so worried about keeping the amendments intact and we aren't doing what we're supposed to be doing as a church. And one of these days, we aren't even going to have a bill of rights unless we get a clue as the church. Amen. We're worried about who's the next who's the next candidate for president. I don't give a rip anymore. I want to know when's the church going to step up. And just do some things that are uniquely designed by the church. Should we feed the hungry? Sure. Should we build houses? Absolutely. Should we be compassionate? 
No doubt about it. But maybe it's time we understood there's a spiritual dimension that no one else is going to enter into. And unless we enter into it, there's nothing long-term that's going to take place. We need to change something. I mean, I, I was born in 1959. I grew up in the 60s. I grew up in neighborhoods that you could run and play. We played hide-and-go-seek at night, and you'd stay up all night long, and Mom and Dad wouldn't even wonder where we were. In the summertime, I'd bebop it out of the house at 8 a.m., and they wouldn't see me till supper time. I mean, that was the world I grew up in. I can't let my daughter ride her bike five houses down the street. Well, let's just implement another law. Aren't we dumb? Aren't we dumb? Oh, well, we'll just, we'll just, we'll put something, we'll just put, you know, we'll just get new websites and we'll just, we're just dumb. Number three, the church in Jesus' mind was to be a conduit of light. I said a conduit. Well, excuse me, I said the conduit, not a conduit. The church is the only conduit through which the light of the Lord is dispensed. The only one. Jesus Christ is the only answer, the only solution to the world's most pressing issues, and the church is the only holder. We are the lampstand. Congress and the White House are not the lampstands. Columbia is not the lampstand. The school board's not the lampstand. The county council's not the lampstand. Get it? They are not the lampstands. The church is the lampstand. Pundits and cable news commentators are not the lampstands. The church is the lampstand. The church, the church is not the one who is ignorant or confused here. We get it. Do you understand? We are the only ones that have a chance of getting it. They don't get it. Everybody's waiting for the next piece of legislation. They don't get it. We are the only ones who really get it. We understand the true root of the problem. We are the conduit of light. Folks, if we aren't the light, ain't no light coming. Number four. We're also connected to other local churches, obviously. To me, the seven churches that we're going to be teaching on will represent the uniqueness of different fellowships. I'll, I'll even say different denominations. I'm not sectarian. I understand that there are good people in denominational churches that are doing a wonderful work for the Lord. I know there are independent churches doing a wonderful work for the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, if we're of one accord in what God's heart is in the earth, there is a connection that comes in that. And that connection is based on his lordship. That connection is based on our obedience to his heart in the earth and his vision and the commands of the Lord to his bride and body. And so I understand, this is the good news. We ain't the only ones. There are others that should be in the hunt as well as the church. Now, all that I've laid out here is good, it's great. However, I wrote down here, honesty demands that we admit that we just haven't arrived yet because truth of the matter is, if the, if if. If the enemy can shoot 32 or 3 people on the Virginia Tech campus, he could come to Charleston and it could happen at the Citadel, C of C. It, it could happen in any of our colleges. It could happen in any of our schools. When we look at the television set, we shouldn't say, well, thank God it hadn't come to Charleston. Well, you know what? It's gotten to Virginia, so it's coming to the south. I'm just here to tell you, folks. 
It doesn't happen just up north somewhere in crazy New York. We need to begin to understand that that we've got responsibilities. And I'm convinced that if we have not arrived, it's because we have lost what it really means to be the church. Why is it when it comes to significant moments in history, why is it that whether it be tragedy or celebration, why is it? Now, I'm not saying that when we have funerals and other things, they don't ask pastors and other people to come and speak to it. But it's always amazing to me that as I've watched all of this all week long until finally I was on overload, I, I told Trace, I said, I'm done watching this. I mean, it's just, it's depressing anymore. But why is it that we always throw on the television set? We always throw on the, the senator. We throw on the talk show guru. We give Geraldo umpteen hundreds of hours of time on television and let him pontificate as to what needs to happen in the earth to stop this stuff. I don't know about you, but I don't think Geraldo knows. I like his mustache, but I'm not sure he's got a clue on what a solution is. Why is it? Why is it we let politicians in the media, everybody starts thinking, they start 20 minutes after it happens, they're figuring out what legislation needs to happen. We are sick. The reason they are looked to is because we are not a lampstand. They don't see any light. Geraldo's a nice guy, but he doesn't have the answer. Let me just say this. Republicans do not have the answer. Democrats do not have the answer. Talk radio, Dr. Phil, Oprah, Fox News. Liberal NBC, Post and Courier, New York Times, Washington Post, do not have the answer. They need light. Our culture needs light. And that's the light of Jesus Christ. But hear me now, if there's no lampstand, hear me. I started asking myself the question, can there be light? I believe, this is what I believe, I think most people, by and large, are doing so much to keep their own noses above water. We're so busy trying to get our own need met. We're so busy, we're just so busy with our own unraveling that when we hear this, we say to ourselves, I'm just trying to keep, my, I'm just trying to keep the water line here on my own life. And not only do we miss who we are as a people, I think we miss a far greater picture. And, 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 I, think, and I think somehow or another, we got to get, get serious because as serious as your personal issues are, and let me just say this, all of us have personal issues. All right, we've just been through that. Ain't nobody not dysfunctional. I just, that was terrible English. All your English teachers, just clip that from iTunes, give it to your students, and say, don't do this. But we'll never change a city unless we become a lampstand. And changing a city isn't just somehow in this ethereal, nebulous way. Changing a city means changing people's lives. It's when they come in one way and they go out another way. 1 Peter 4.17, and I'm done. 1 Peter 4.17, and I want you to read this, because this is why the Lord started out the book of the Revelation this way, and it's how he always deals with it. 1 Peter 4.17, it says this, For the time... Has come for judgment to begin 
at the house of God. And if it begins with us, first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Listen to me, folks. Jesus isn't going to look at the world and say, bad, bad world, until first off he looks at his church. And he says, what are you doing? I love you. I died for you. I provided all things necessary for your victory. All you have to do is embrace it. He wants wants a light. I I don't believe the world can be judged. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to say something that you're going to have to think about. You're going to walk away this morning and think about this. I don't think the world can be judged fairly until the world has a demonstration from the church what life was supposed to look like. How will they ever know? Unless they see it. I don't think they can be judged unless something happens in the people of God that begins to demonstrate a true witness of what life in the kingdom really is all about. When everything else unravels, we don't unravel. When everything else crumbles, we stand. When everything else is shaky, we are firm. And they look at us and they say, why is it that you're uncommon? You see, we the church. And as the church, we bust through walls. We break down barriers. We take back hell's territory. We're not just holding firm and hope we don't lose any ground. We're going forward and we're taking things back. We're taking back our families. We're taking back education. We're taking back. We're taking it back. We're not just trying to hold the onslaught off. We're taking it back. I don't want to just make our campuses safe. I want to make them godly. I don't, I, don't want, I, don't want, I don't want columbines just never to happen again. And, and I don't want to just find money to put up metal detectors. Let, let's, get, let's get a revival to where there's a spirit of discernment that will have a spiritual radar that will detect the gun. That's a lot cheaper than the metal detector too. Are you with me? Yeah, we're not, we're, we're not saying let's just keep our fingers in the dike. It's we're going back in to take back what's rightfully the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. Amen? I want to be a part of that group. That's the group I want to be a part of. Now, here's the good news. You're the ones that are closest to us. So I'm going to hang with you if you don't mind. As imperfect as we all are. We're still it. Stand with me, will you? Amen. Hey, if you have someone, you can grab their hand right next to you and just maybe just link up with a a, a person, two, three, just right where you are. Just link up. This this is coming to agreement right now. And we're going to pray as the church right now. Heavenly Father, we pray right now in agreement. Lord, right now there are, are hands that are clasped all through this sanctuary of your people who are agreeing with each other that, Lord, a lampstand shall arise in the earth. Lord, we understand quite clearly that we're not the light. 
We understand that we're just these human beings who love you and really want to serve you. But, but, but we in and of ourselves are not the light. But Lord, you've called us to arise and be the lampstand, which the light can shine through. And Lord, we confess right now, I just pray, Lord, in a, in a priestly sort of a way at this moment, just for the church and for the people, Lord, we repent, Lord, from us not being that lampstand, from not arising and not standing and not demonstrating and not speaking and, 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 not, and not holding firm. But, but, but Lord, we ask you right now, Lord, that out of that repentance for what we weren't, Lord, hear our hearts cry that we want to obey to be what you called us to be. You're calling us out to change the affairs of the state, of this world, somehow, some way. Lord, I believe a lot of that will probably be through just a testimony, walking out a testimony. I believe some of that will be when we get serious about praying and, and declaring, Lord, the powers and principalities and heavenly places, the manifold wisdom of God. It can only come through us. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. We agree right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that it will begin here. We, we can't... We can't somehow get this in others and either uh, other believers lord but we can start with us just as you said that judgment would begin at the house of god let judgment begin with us personally first lord judge us first first cause us to see our ways first and lord as we as we repent and realign and embrace and obey then lord we have the capacity to be a declare of your word, to begin to be a, 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 a speaker of that which is ultimate truth. Lord, I pray right now that somehow you would work in our land. There's obviously, Lord, a breach in our land. To have 30 plus young people's lives snuffed out. Lord, there's a breach in the land. Lord, we could go back to 9-11. We could talk about the guy... Lord, at the Houston Space Center that shot a hostage. We, we can talk about the bomb threats that have happened even in our own area. Lord, we are a culture that's unraveling and, and the church has got to show up to the game somewhere. Lord, help us to see it's not the White House, it's God's house. It's our house. It's not... It's not just a religious sort of game we're playing anymore. This is life and death. We're, we're seeing before our very eyes, these are life and death issues. Literally. I don't know how many at Virginia Tech stepped into eternity. Knowing you and not knowing you, I am clueless. But I know this much. I know that it's life and death. I know that there are parents and grandparents that grieve with a grief some of us don't even understand. I know that. I know, I know. I know the cries that have gone up. I know. I know. And yet, Lord, we, we turn on our electronic pulpits and we hear everyone just spouting off their mouth. And nobody hitting their knees and saying, Oh God, unveil to us what we need to say and do to somehow redeem our land. Lord, we're naive to think it could not come to our city. Lord, I pray right now that you would raise up in Charleston and the surrounding area. I pray right now that you would raise up true watchmen, true watchmen at the gate. 
that you would raise up your true church that would kick down the doors of hell and prevail in circumstances. Lord, I understand that the church that does that is nose to nose with the devil himself. That's the church. Hear me, folks. Hear me. Right, I'm getting revelation. If you want to be the church, understand you're going to be nose to nose with the enemy. You're going to ask yourself, well, how come other believers don't fuss with him so much? Well, maybe they're not nose to nose. I'm not looking for a fight with the enemy, believe me. I, I understand. I understand his strength. I understand his wiles and strategies. I would be toast if it were not for the fact that I believe that greater is he that's in me. But somebody's got to get nose to nose. Nose to nose. And be the church. Right now, where you're standing right now, with every head bowed, I want you to right now, I want you right now, don't you think about your spouse, let go of those hands for just a moment, don't you think about your spouse for just a moment, don't you think about your friend, don't you think about anything, but right now I want you to say to the Lord, if you mean it, right now, with an upraised hand, Lord, I want to be a part of that group. I, I lift my hand. I want to be a part of the church. I, a real church. I don't, I don't care if it says legacy or first church or the hoity-toity. I don't, it doesn't matter. I want to be a part of the church. Say, Lord, that's me. I, I want to be a part of that group that expends my life in something that your heart's in. You can put your hand down. Father, you've seen, you've seen your people. You've seen their hearts you've seen their desires lord and i just pray right now that you would help us in these next few weeks lord unveil take the curtain back will you please and let us see what you see let us not be repulsed or offended but lord let us say i want i want to be a part of the church that is that end time victorious church i want that in jesus name now this is what i want to ask right now if you've never and we're going to do this. If you've never opened up your life to Jesus Christ or you're not right with the Lord right now and you need to get your heart right, I just want to pray specifically for you. I, I understand you may have lifted your hand this morning and said, you know, I want to be a part of that. And I affirm you and I'm glad for that. But I want to make sure that you're on the right foundation. And so I want to pray for those. And I'm going to take just a moment, but it shouldn't take long. That if you want to get something right with God, if you've never opened up your heart, and said yes to Jesus Christ. He's the one that baptizes you into the church by his spirit. You can, you can want everything, but if you don't have Jesus in the center of your life, then you can't be a part of this great challenge. But he's calling you right now to. Calling you to the uncommon right now, the extraordinary. Doesn't matter how you think of yourself. He thinks of you as someone who can do great exploits for him. If that's you right now, if you stumbled, if you failed, if you've got to get your life right, if you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ, I want you to come right now and join me right this moment. I want you to come and say, Lord, before I go, I'm going to get some things right with you. And I just want to step out right now. Anyone else? Anyone else? Just right now, I want to get some things right before I go. Amen. Just come on. Just tender-hearted people. I just want to get some things right before I go. Anyone else? Just another moment. Just another moment. Just another moment. God bless you. They're coming. They're coming. God bless you. They're coming. I mean, we don't, this is this is important stuff. This is important stuff. Come on, here. Come on. God bless you. Keep coming. 
keep coming. Keep coming. I, I, I want to get this. I want to get this settled. I'm going to be a part of the church, Jesus' church. How about it? Anyone else? I'm just going to take another moment. Grace, if some of your ladies will come just gather. Tim, if you would get a couple of the guys and just come right now. We're just going to pray right now. Father, I ask you right now in Jesus' name. I want you all just to pray with me. Everybody pray right now. Say, Heavenly Father, I choose today to get my heart right before you. I ask that you cleanse me and forgive me and restore me and lift me up that I might be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. I embrace you today and your power and your victory. I claim it as my own. And I am reconciled today to my God through Jesus Christ. You are working in me from this time forward in powerful ways. I am not alone. I am linked with brothers and sisters of like faith. And most importantly, I'm linked with you. Let it ignite in me with new life and joy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. God's going to do some great stuff, isn't he? Isn't he? God's going to do some great stuff, isn't he? Isn't he, dude? Amen. God bless you. God bless you. You may pray and people may visit with you. Congregation, I bless you. Go be the church. Amen. Be the church. Be the lampstand. And God will use you greatly. You're released. God bless you. We'll see you on the Lord's Day next Sunday. God bless you all. You're released.